I mentioned last week my whole family came down with the flu on Saturday, which worked out timing-wise because I got to get through Sunday morning, and then by Sunday night I was coming down with it. And then Monday and Tuesday just spent the whole day in bed, which was fun. And I um, and, uh, just want to thank so, several of you called and offered to pick us up groceries, and some of you, you know, brought us food. And, and, and uh, just seeing the outpouring of generosity was so great, and now we have enough chicken noodle soup to last through next winter. So... That's awesome. It's really, really great. I love being part of the body of Christ that just serves each other, and I and, uh, really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, there's nothing that makes you appreciate health than being sick. You know, it's like you, you think, well, yeah, I'm healthy, and, and you worry about all this other stuff. But it's like that adage, you know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. You start to really feel that after you've been in bed a few days, and you're like, okay, I just ache, and I, I'm in this fog, and this is awful I would give anything just to be back to, like, normal. And I was lying there, like, Tuesday night, and I'm just kind of, like, curled up in the fetal position. And, and uh, of course, my wife is way tougher than me, so she's, like, out and doing stuff and, you know, trying to, you know, baby me. And, uh, but I'm lying there, I'm like, man, this is, this is so horrible. And I thought, man, isn't this what we're hoping for, though? That, that like, I'm, I'm just hoping to be better. I'm hoping just to get back to normal. I'm just hoping for health. And I thought, that's, that's like a little picture right there that God's giving me of what, what this Christian life is about. That, that, that what I'm hoping for as a believer is not that I stay in this, this world, but that God is going to change it, that he's going to change me, that I'm, I'm sick and I'm wretched and there's this sin that's like crushing my spirit and I'm, I'm burdened by that and I'm always fighting against that and I'm, my hope is that one day he's going to return, he's going to make me new. And I'm going to be all new, I'm going to be all healthy, I'm going to be what he intended for me to be. I mean, isn't that what this is all about? And it's not just for each of us individually, but it's all for all of creation. That God tells us in his word, in Romans 8, it says that all of creation is, is in bondage to corruption. Right? That, that sin has entered into the world and there's this decay and there's this death and everything's like falling apart. And we're looking forward to this time when Christ is going to come and he's going to come and he's going to make all things right. We're not just looking forward to him to kind of like beam us up to heaven, like where he's going to escape this world. But no, one day he's going to bring the kingdom and everything is going to be changed. Everything's going to be made new. I mean, that's what this is all about, right? But until then, until then, there's something desperately wrong with the world. There's something desperately wrong with the world. You know, I was lying in bed and I'm, I'm you know, on my phone at times when I'm conscious and I'm, I'm looking at headlines and I look, I look at all these headlines. You don't have to look far. I mean, you look, look around the world and there's, there's like four million, I, I saw this this week, there's like four million people living in slavery today in this world. Four million people. Of those, they're estimating that upwards of 400 to 500,000 of them are women and children imprisoned in the sex trade. Women and, and kids. There's, there's a lack of clean water. I mean, look at the persecution that's going on in the Middle East. There's something broken. There's something wrong with our world. I was looking at, at, at the U.S. headlines there's plenty. Uh, one caught my eye. There's a, a company that uh, they cut 25,000 jobs this year. 25,000 people who suddenly went home without a job, without a pay, way to pay their bills, without a way to provide for their family, and the CEO got made $18 million. Like, there's something wrong with that. There's something broken with that. 
See, all of this is, is injustice. All of this is, is how God's shalom, like what it talks about in the Old Testament, that we translate peace, but it's so much more than that. It is, it's this idea of wholeness. It's this idea that, 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 that God has created the world where there's this interweaving of all society and it's all wrapped up together and there's this everything in its right place, everything in harmony and balance, and there's these places where that fabric has been torn apart. And that's injustice. It's where everything is supposed to be working in harmony together, but instead has been ripped apart. And as believers, and this is what we've been talking about this whole series, that as exiles, it's our job to step into those places. That God is calling us to, as exiles, this is what it says in Jeremiah 29, that we're supposed to be working for the welfare of the world. We're supposed to be working for the welfare of the city. We're not just waiting for Jesus to come back. We're not hoping he's going to pull us up to heaven. But actually, in this place, in this time, recognizing that we are God's people, this is not our home in its current form. But one day, he's going to return. But in the meantime, we're supposed to step into those places where that fabric has been torn apart, and we're supposed to begin to rebuild it. We're supposed to try to bring order back out of the chaos to restore things back the way God intended. Shalom. Harmony. And that's one of the things that I, I'm so grateful with, with our church because this is really a value. This is such a heart with so many of you that I see. You know, we, we've partnered with Good Samaritan Men's Shelter here in Phoenixville. And um, and so many of you have, have been part of that. And then there's Baby's Breath, um, the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and there's Orion Communities. And last week when we, we had Bethany Christian Services here and we had the Safe Families for Children information meeting, and like over 30 of you showed up for that. And that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. I love that about our church, that we have this heart to step in and say, okay, we're not just going to be this church that exists over here by ourselves. We're going to be part of the community. That where that fabric has been torn apart, we want to step into that. I love that. Praise God for that. Because what I would never want is for us to be the kind of church where we just go through the motions. I would never want us to be a church that we just kind of like play at this whole church thing and we kind of show up on Sunday mornings and we do our thing and then we go out and back into the rest of our week and it doesn't actually mean anything. Like there's nothing real about it. I never want us to be that kind of a church. See, that's what Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 1, he's warning the people of Israel about. You can read this with me. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You guys remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That, that's not Israel. He's talking about these other two cities. And they were so wicked. They were so vile. They were so, you know, uh, evil that God himself actually steps in and like wipes them out. Okay, so now he's being sarcastic. He's like, okay, look at you. You're like Gomorrah. You're like Sodom. It's not a good thing. I mean, that'd be us, like us talking about something to say, well, that's like Enron or Titanic or Coke Zero. Like it spells disaster, okay? Like it's a bad thing. You don't want anybody labeling you that. And what God's essentially saying here is like, listen, listen, what I'm about to say to you is paramount for your survival. You were like Sodom and Gomorrah. You were right there. And so how you respond to what I'm about to say is going to determine whether you are around afterwards. So it's kind of a big deal. Listen to what he says. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. 
I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. God's saying, listen, you you think you're righteous? You think you're healthy? You think you're pleasing me? You're not. You're just ticking me off. You're going through all the motions. You've got all this empty ritual. And you think that somehow that's making me happy. You think somehow that makes you right with me. He says, no, you're missing the point. It's not pleasing to me. Just stop it already. (laughs) And I think sometimes, like, what would God say when he sees our Sunday mornings. I mean, I, I, I worry about this sometimes. It's like, what would he say if he, if he looked in and he sees all of us in here and he knows our hearts, he knows what we're actually thinking and how we're actually living through the rest of the week and would he just be like, look, this, this whole show thing you got going here, like, just stop it already. I'm not interested in any of this anymore. See, the danger is that it's so easy to reduce following Jesus to like a Sunday morning experience. It's just so easy to fall into that. It's so easy to go, okay, well, this is just another box that I'm going to check. And so I'm going to show up on Sunday morning and I'm going to sing some songs and I'm going to, you know, greet some people and I'm going to pray because everybody else is praying. And then I'm going to go back to the rest of my life. But, with, but, there's, but nothing then changes, like nothing happens out of that. Like we never go home and we really like wrestle with sin. We never go home and we're like, okay, I've got to repent of this. Like, I just, I know that this isn't how I should be living. We don't go home and go, okay, you know what? I really sense that God wants me to forgive that person. Okay, I'm actually going to go and do that. Or maybe I need to ask for forgiveness. And see, God's not buying it. That's what Isaiah is saying is that like, this is, this is just this charade. It's just this show. It's just this thing that we do. And we never want it to become that because God, God's not falling for it. I mean, if that's all it is, then God says, listen, just, just give it up. Start living the way you're singing and praying and talking about. Start living like that Monday, Sunday afternoon through Saturday, and then we'll talk. But until then, like, I'm through with you. I'm not listening to your prayers. I mean, I mean just think for a moment about how, how we pray. Think about how we pray. I mean, have you ever, you ever found yourself praying? You're just sort of like saying words and you're not even really aware of who you're praying to. You ever found yourself maybe in a small group or some other situation? You're just kind of praying. You're just going through the motions. And you're saying the words. And, and, and then you start to realize that really what you want to know is how everyone else, how, how you sound to them. Like, do, they, do I sound spiritual? Do I sound like I really know what I'm talking about? Do I sound like I'm really praying to God, like I have a relationship with him? Because, man, I get that, okay? I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, I better sound spiritual when I pray, right? 
And so I'll be sitting there and I find myself, that's where my head goes. And suddenly I'm like, okay, I better make sure that I'm saying the right things. And I'm going to be theological in this. And I start to think about how other people hear me pray instead of recognizing that I'm praying to the God of the universe. Who knows me better than I know myself. Who, who knows every day of my life and whether this next breath is going to be my, ne- my last. And somehow I'm more worried about the people I'm praying with instead of him. Like, are you kidding me? But this is what we do. I'm guilty of it. I, and I'll tell you, I, I, you know, I come up here to preach sometimes. And I'm a people pleaser. And so, like, I care very much that you like me, that you think I'm funny. I, I've, actually, I've given up on that. But, um, right, but, I, but I'll, I'll find myself up here. I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, man, did that illustration hit home? Like, did, did, did that really, like, capture their imaginations? Did, they, did that really, you know, that, that one guy, I hope he really caught this because that was really for him. I was thinking about him, you know? And instead of recognizing, like, right now I'm preaching from the Word of God, like the very living Word of God. These are not mere words from mortal men. These are the words from the living God who's condescended to speak to us. Like, I should never get over that. That should be staggering to me. That should be reverence and all. Every time I walk out here, like, I'm not caring about what you think. Are you kidding me? I have the, I'm going to answer to God for what I say. See, this is what happens for many of us. Maybe not the preaching part of it, but look, this is, this is what happens to us. Like, we get really comfortable with this idea of God. We get really comfortable and it's like, we begin to take it for granted that we're, we're talking to the transcendent God who has created all things. All things whole, he's created all things. All things are held together by him, through him, and for him. He knows our innermost thoughts. And we should never get over that. But we've become so inoculated to this reality that we're singing and we're praying and we're listening to the maker of heaven and earth that we just sort of begin to go through the motions and then we wonder, we wonder why our faith, frankly, just seems irrelevant to the rest of life. That is, it's not complicated. I mean, and can, you, can you imagine for a moment, all right, just, just work with me here. Can you imagine for a moment, like if we could actually picture God as he is, like if while we were in here this morning, if we could actually begin to picture God as he is, do you think we'd ever go through the motions again? I mean, think about how Isaiah describes him in Isaiah 6. And it says that, that he is seated on the throne and he's surrounded by millions of angels and they're all worshiping and adoring him and falling down and praising his name morning, noon, and night. If we could see God like that, do you think you'd ever come in here and just kind of like sing a song and then, for, you know, not even noticing the words that you're saying? Like, no. You think we'd ever like pray and lose sight of the fact that this is the God that we're talking about? If we could see God as he is, would we ever walk out of here without being radically transformed? Instead of walking out going, man, that music was really powerful today, or I really liked Paul's sermon. Man, we'd be like, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What do you want me to do, Lord? Like, I'll die for you. I'll live for you. I'll forgive those people. I'll ask for forgiveness. Like, what do you want from me? That's, that's how we'd walk out of here. Could we ever go back to normal life? See, but that's what happens. It happens all the time. And this is what happens for the Israelites. They're going through the motions, but it's not real. And see, this is what I'm praying for for me. This is what I'm praying for you. I've just been really 
convicted by this the last few weeks and um, just praying on, on these Sunday mornings when we come in here together that it would not be a show, that it would not be a charade, wouldn't be a sham, that we'd come in here and we would we'd sing to God, that we would pray to the God who is, that we'd hear his word, and that we would begin to actually get a taste and a glimpse of his presence right here with us. We would experience the power of the Spirit in our lives that would transform us, that would change the way that we live. It would change us from the inside out because I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to be a church that goes through the motions. I don't want a fake experience and I don't want to like manufacture this relationship with God. I want it to be real. And I want it to be real for all of us. Because if it's real, then it's going to change us. And it's going to change what it looks like to, to love people outside of these walls. And this is what I, Isaiah says. If we keep reading verse 16, he says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. He says, look, I want to talk to you about this. I'm not, I, I want to bring this court, this is an image of, of a court case. I'm going to bring this case against you. But I want you to hear it. I want you to understand it. I want it to persuade you that things have to change. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they're, it's like the stain is what he's describing. It's the stain on our souls. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says, listen, your worship, it rings hollow. There's no fruit. You're giving me lip service. What I actually want is for you to obey. I want you to do what I say. This would be like my, my kids. You know, I tell them, okay, it's time for you to go to bed. And they're like, you're the greatest dad in the world. That's nice. Okay, I want you to go to bed now. No, no, Dad, you don't understand. You are so wonderful. I love you, Dad, so much. The way you play with us, the way you provide for us, it's just wonderful. I just want to stand here and keep praising you. Actually, I really want you to just go to bed. No, 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 Dad, you're so great. Like at some point, I'm like, okay, buddy, this is a new stall tactic. I've not seen this one before. You got to obey me. Like, go get in bed. Like, what I want is, I, I don't care that you're praising me. That's nice. Okay, I appreciate that. But now I want you to obey me. The way I know that you love me, the way that I know you actually appreciate me and worship me and all that, and they don't really worship me, is that you go to bed. Like, you do, you do it. You obey. When God says, look, just stop it already. Stop with all the lip service stuff. It says your hearts are cruel. I don't even want to look at you. I don't want to listen to your prayers. I don't want to work for your good. Your hands are full of blood. I want to accept your sacrifices, your empty worship. I hate your show enough already. What he really wants, what does he say? What he's still waiting for is for us to learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring justice to the fatherless, to plead the widow's cause. He's waiting for us to actually do something. And then he knows it's real. See, um, in James, James chapter 1, he warns us about this idea that we only hear the word, but we never actually do it. Look at what he says. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says, look, don't, don't be like this guy who looks in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. Okay, so for this, for this analogy to work, uh, you understand it has to be a guy, all right? I can never imagine a woman doing this, but for a guy, you can, if you've known many guys, um, and I've known several, uh, I'm one of them, um, you, you can look in the mirror and it's like, man, it doesn't matter how ugly we are. It doesn't matter. We think we're awesome. Like, we'll look in the mirror and we're like, yeah, okay, you know what? I'm kind of, you know, I'm bald and I got a kind of a big nose and googly eyes. And I still walk away and I'm like, I'm like Brad Pitt, you know? I mean, that's how I feel, you know? And this is, this is how guys think. Maybe not all guys, but I've, I've never known a woman who thinks like this. But guys can stare intently at the mirror. It's like, yeah, acne, I'm kind of overweight or whatever. And they can see all that and they still walk away and go, everything's good here. God's gift to women, look at me. This is how guys think, okay? And what he's saying is that this is what it's like when we read God's word. That this is the very word of God. What does it say in Hebrews? That it's, it's like a double two-edged sword that cuts through bone and marrow, divides our hearts and shows us our innermost, you know, motives. What we're really about, it shows us all of that. And if we listen to that and then move on like nothing happened, it's like we've just stared at the mirror and we walk off and it's like, I have no idea what I look like. And James says, man, don't be like that. Like, that's absurd. It's a stupid idea. That's the whole point. To hear God's word and then not to do anything with it. Um, a number of years ago, my dad told me this story. My dad uh, is an architect, and he was with a firm in Dallas. And uh, they specialized in fire stations. I don't know how you get into that side of it, but that's what they ended up doing, which was pretty cool. And so they hired this guy. Um, pretty fresh out of college, and they said, okay, here's the, here's the next project that we need you to be working on, and so go do it. And, and about a week later, they brought him back, and they said, okay, so what, what do you got? What, show us your plans. What do you, what do you have? And he says, oh, actually, I haven't dr- drawn anything. I haven't sketched anything, but I've done a, some great research. I know a lot more about fire stations, and, and I understand, you know, more about their function and how everything works with them. And they're like, okay, that, that's great. We're thrilled for that. At some point, we need you to draw something because there's a deadline coming. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. So he goes away, and they, they bring him back later. And they're like, okay, so let's see the plans. And he says, oh, I haven't actually drawn anything yet, but, but I got together with the fire chief and uh, some community leaders, and we did like a demographic study of the area, and so I've got more great information. It's really good. I'm really starting to figure this stuff out. And, and this went on and on. Eventually, they, they literally had to fire this guy because he never drew anything. They're like, it's, it's a deadline, man. Like, you've got to do something. And all he did was research it to death. And I think we become so good at listening. We get so good at hearing. We can, man, we can dig into God's word and we can memorize it and have Bible studies about it. We can parse the Greek and the Hebrew and we can understand all this stuff. But listen, if it never translates into actually doing something, then it doesn't mean anything. You know, when we come on a Sunday morning and we hear a sermon and we're like, oh man, Paul's sermon, it just like cut me to the heart. I was so torn up. It just like tore me up inside. I can't wait to tell my friends and share it on Facebook. But if it ever actually like translates into action, then James says it doesn't mean anything. I mean, can you imagine one day standing before God? He's like, okay, I told you to forgive your enemies. 
Did you do that? Well, no, but oh man, I felt it. So convicted, just tore me up, God. Just like, oh, he's like, but did you do it? And James says it's the one who does. Not the one who just hears, the one who does, who's ultimately blessed. The one who acts on what he's heard. He says, being a, what does he say, hearer who forgets. He says it has no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no blessing. It's meaningless. And it's not just in hearing the truth. There's a danger here in talking too much as well. That we talk a really good game. Verse 26, 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless, James says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this is something I have to be so careful about because I basically talk for a living. I talk a lot. I meet with people and I talk. I get up here and I talk. I lead studies. I do all, right? It's all centered around talking. And I have to be so careful and I have to constantly be taking myself before God and my heart before God and saying, God, don't ever let me stand up there and be bold about something that's not real in my life. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to stand up there, God, and put on a good show. I don't want to stand up there and, and say all these bold proclamations in your name. And everybody thinks, oh, wow, Lucas must really have it together. If it's not true in my life. I don't want to just talk a good game. See, but it's true for all of us because we come in here and we sing. What are we singing? We get in our Bible studies and we talk. We meet with men's groups and women's groups and we talk and we talk and we talk and we talk. And sometimes it's like we talk so much about it that it feels like we've done it. And James says, look, you, you don't want to know the true sign of religion, of true religion, of pure religion. He says, man, it's, it's to act in justice. I mean, he's just echoing Isaiah. Seek justice. What does he say? Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That's shorthand for do justice. Correct oppression. To stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. To give hope for the hopeless. James says, don't just hear about it. Don't just talk about it. You have to do something. You have to step into those spaces. There's one more passage I want to look at. And this one's from Jesus. But it's just right, man, it just parallels, it tracks right along with what Isaiah and James have said. This is Matthew 25. It's what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Stop there for just a second, because I want to be really clear here, okay? Jesus is not telling a parable. This is not a story. This is not like, let me give you this illustration of something that's kind of going to be like this or like this. No, no. He's describing what will actually happen, what will actually occur, that one day the Son of Man, Jesus himself, is going to be seated on this throne. Can you picture that? 
I mean, just close your eyes for just a moment and just try to imagine this, that Jesus himself is sitting on this throne and all the world, like all the nations, all the people are spread out. Can you see that? Billions of people lined up and it says they're going to come forward. He's like, okay, you're going to move to the right and you're going to move to the left. You can open your eyes. I mean, you get a picture of that. This is what actually will happen. It's not a parable. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did you see, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. But then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? When did that happen, Lord? Verse 45, then he will answer them, saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus, look, there's these people all over the world. There's people all around you all the time who need care, someone to care for them, somebody to love for them. And the way that I know you love me is if you love them. Like, that's the evidence. That's the proof that you love me, that your love for me is real, that all of your worship for me is real, is the fact that you love them. Not that you talk about loving me, not that you sing to me and pray to me. That's all great, but that you love and care for them. That's what legitimizes everything else in your life. That's how I know your faith is real and not just lip service. And he says, man, as you do it for one of those, it's like you're doing it for me. I mean, just just stop. Just think about how crazy that is. I mean, can you, can you wrap your head around that for a second? I mean, that, that means that like when you walk out here into Phoenixville today and you see somebody on the street and they need some food or some water or some medical attention or something, or maybe it's a neighbor that you know, like anytime that you serve them and you care for them and you give them love, it's the same as if you did it for Jesus. Like, that should just blow our minds. I mean, can you imagine that? That's crazy. I mean, how can we not love and care for somebody if when I care for them, it's the same as if I'm serving my Lord? I mean, I gotta get in on that. That's a crazy deal right there. I mean, those of you who serve at Good Samaritan, man, when you're serving those guys, they are Jesus to you. When you're serving at baby's breath or through Orion services, like those women that you're serving, like they are Jesus to you. You know, there's this guy, Jesse, who I, I see on Bridge Street all the time. He's homeless. And, and, or, or Jack, this guy who walks in off the street all the time and to bother Megan. And, and they come in the office and it's like, man, they're Jesus to us. 
I had a guy this last week came in homeless looking for, you know, like solid work, regular work. And it's like, this is Jesus. Like, how can I not want to serve them? How can I not want to take the time to listen to them, to love them in any way that I can, if that's the same as serving my Lord and my God and my King? By the way, you want to see your attitude change towards people around you? To this person who's like walking by the street and they smell really bad, or to your neighbor who drives you crazy? Just start telling yourself, this is Jesus. It'll change your attitude really quick. Several weeks ago, I was talking to this woman, um, and she and her husband have a pretty big house. And so they have a housekeeper, and um, this housekeeper, I don't know how often she comes, but um, her name's Lisa. And, uh, and so after a few, they, they, she'd been working there for a while, and after a while, like, this woman um, noticed that some stuff was missing. And at first it was some food, but then it was money, and then it was jewelry. And so instead of calling the police, though, uh, she went and talked to her. And she said, Lisa, look, I, I know this is happening. I, I, I'm not dumb. Like, I know that you're taking stuff from me. And, and, and Lisa, you know, confessed and said, yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did this. And this woman said, like, um, I forgive you because Jesus forgave me. And she ended up just sharing the gospel with her. And, and this woman, Lisa, ends up giving her life to the Lord. And, and then, right, but then it's not over. Like, this, this, this lady's like, okay, well, where do you, you know, where do you live? Like, let me, let me come help you in any way that I can. And she starts talking about, like, how she can get her back on her feet financially so she doesn't have to steal and, and working out a program. And so she goes and she sees where she lives. And, and, and she sees she's living with her daughter and, and with her grandkids and and uh, they, she starts finding work f- for her through the church. And uh, the church ends up bringing them meals when they don't have enough. And it just becomes this, like the entire community rallies around this family. And, and it's not like there's not this beautiful, happy ending. It just sort of like keeps going. But at one point I, was, I stopped and I was like, hey, hold on a second. Like how come you didn't call the, let's go all the way back here. Why didn't you call the police? Because that just like blew my mind. Because I think that's what most people would do. I mean, I, I get like, okay, she, she took some food. Maybe you'll just like let that slide. But like money, jewelry, like stuff that someone has gifted to you. Like, why, why wouldn't you call the police? Why wouldn't you do something about that? And she said, you know, it never crossed my mind because I just thought, how desperate must this woman be that she would steal from me? And then she said, and I just thought, like, this is the gospel, isn't it? That, that, that Jesus, he did this for us. And, and, and so I just wanted to, like, I just wanted to tell her about Jesus, that, it, that it's not enough that you just, like, get back on your feet financially, but that you have to know him, that he's the only one who's going to give you this kind of hope. And, and then, and then I, I went with her, and I saw where she lived, and I saw this area, and I thought, I can't believe people even live like this. And I saw her daughter and her grandkids, and I just felt so much compassion. I thought, I can't just drive away from this. Like, I have to do something. I have to try to help in any way that I can. And even though other people are like, oh, it's such a mess. You don't want to get involved with that. She was like, I just couldn't turn my back. I couldn't stop because I was like, this is what Jesus did for me. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't this what the Bible says? And I heard this and I thought, man, that's, what, that's the gospel. 
That's the gospel that all of us, I mean, why does it describe us right here? That all of us spiritually, we were naked and we were wretched and we were sick and we were enslaved to sin. And Jesus doesn't press charges. He doesn't bring the judgment upon us. But instead he says, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to find a way for you. And that's the gospel. That Jesus says, look, I see you in your nakedness. And you know what? I'm going to take that upon myself. They're going to cast lots from my clothing over here. And they're going to hang me on a tree. But I'm going to clothe you in my righteousness. And I know you're hungry and I know you're thirsty, but you know what? I'm gonna, they're going to dip a sponge in vinegar and they're going to give me something to drink so that I can be your bread of life and I'm going to be the living water for you and I'm going to be the outcast. I'm going to be homeless so that you can have a home. And like it says in Isaiah, that your sins are like scarlet. There's this stain on you, but they're going to be made white as snow. Jesus says, I did that for you. I made your sins white as snow. I did that. I did all of that for you. And now go and do the same. Go and do likewise. See, I don't want to play at this, guys. I don't want to play at church. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to just talk a good game. I'm not interested in empty ritual. I want this to be real. I want to know the presence and the power of the living God in my life. And the only way that that begins to happen is if I go and I love other people. Like that's the evidence that this actually means something. This is actually real. And I want us to be a church that we love God and that leads us to love others because this is real. We're not just playing at this. We're not just showing up on Sunday because we got nothing better to do or because we just, this is a, a box that we need to check. Or we're trying to please God, Okay. Like, get in right with God. God has already saved us by grace through faith alone, period. You don't have to show up to church. But we're here because we love him. And the evidence of that is that we love others, that we seek justice, that we we correct oppression wherever we find it. In our courts, in our marketplace, in our schools, in our homes, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our hospitals, wherever we find it, that where that fabric has been torn apart and there's injustice, that we step in there, we begin to rebuild that, to restore the order that God wants, that God intends. Because we were all naked, we were all wretched, we were all lost. And Jesus didn't just die for the affluent and the wealthy and the powerful. He died for the poor and the powerless. He died for you and for me. And he didn't just die for Chester counties of the world. He died for the whole world. And so I just want to pray for us. I know I laid a lot out there. And, and listen, I'm like fighting through this. I'm like struggling with this because like I, I just know how easy it is for Sunday morning to become this thing. And I don't want us to ever fall into that trap. And I want us to always just be like taking ourselves before Jesus and, and burying our souls and saying, Jesus, look, you know me better than I know myself. Show me, show me, show me. And I don't want anybody to walk out of here going, okay, well, I'm just like crushed by this now. Look, that's the whole point. It's that we are saved by grace, that Christ has already given himself for us, that when we were naked and wretched and alone, he saved us. And if we get that, if that's real for us, if we love him because of that, 
then man, it's not a burden to love other people. We're just going to. We just have to take that first step.